Thank you for tuning in to Kineticast. I'm your host, Bo Sauls. Today we have Dr. Davis McAllister, who will be talking about what brought him to the military, chiropractic, and football. He talks about movement patterns that you look for in different positions and athletes. Dr. McAllister also speaks about how he has used movement screening to begin to work with local high school basketball teams. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe to Kineticast on your podcast app so you can stay up to date with the new episodes. Let's go ahead and jump into episode four of Kineticast, Functional Movement in Sports with Dr. Davis McAllister. Thank you for tuning in to Kineticast. On this episode, we have Dr. Davis McAllister, and we'll be talking about the importance of functional movement in high school football athletes. Dr. McAllister, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your history, how you got to chiropractic, why you were involved in football, how you got involved with football and everything. Okay. Kind of going back a number of years, uh, I spent eight years in the military right out of high school and uh, served all over the world uh, working in uh, military intelligence. And when I got out of the service, I started school at Mississippi State and originally uh, planned to major in international business. Um, As part of my job in the military, I had to learn several languages and things like that. And so I thought about using that. And then uh, my very first semester, I decided uh, during spring break to go visit an uncle in San Antonio. And he took me to a chiropractor that was uh, 82 years old and still practicing. And given that I had been in the military for eight years, put my body through a lot of, you know, micro traumas and things like that. Probably major traumas. Probably some major traumas (laughs) along the way. And so I went to see that chiropractor. And after that first adjustment, I saw a huge difference uh, right away. I got out that night, decided to go for a run, and that was the best run that I'd had in years. You know, my, my lungs were opening up like I wanted them to. Um, because I didn't have all the restrictions in my mid-back that I had before from carrying, you know, heavy packs. Sometimes we would carry packs that were anywhere from 125 to 150 pounds at a time. Uh, plus, you know, jumping, you know, out of helicopters and airplanes and whatever else they decided to throw us out of the back of. And so that really impacted me. And given the fact that it was something that was active and I could be up on my feet and moving around, uh, it helped uh, curb some of my ADHD tendencies that I had. Um, and still have, uh, but I like getting up and moving around and being active, yet, uh, you know, given, you know, this will be kind of funny later on when I start talking about some of the other things that I got into, uh, but it was something that was indoors, because coming out of the military, you know, uh, we spent a lot of time uh, outside, and so, you know, I changed my major and got all the requirements done uh, to uh, enter chiropractic school. At the same time, I walked on at Mississippi State. My uh, organic chemistry lab partner was the starting tight end. I had been doing powerlifting for a number of years, and he and I went and worked out. And uh, he said, dude, you ought to come out and try out. And of course, at the time, I was 26 years old. Um, and so I was like grandpa to everybody else out there. <laughs> yeah. And so he uh, set up a tryout for me. I went out and um, they said, hey, we'll keep you. We'll let you let you stay on as a walk-on. And and uh, that's kind of how it started. And then so I spent my first year basically being a, a tackle dummy. And uh, and then... Uh, hence the major traumas. Yeah, hence the major traumas that, <laughs> from that point, not including the military ones. Right. And then uh, I actually got to work my way out on the field and got a ring from the Peach Bowl. That's awesome. And then uh, after that, I went to chiropractic school, finished uh, my degree here in 2003, mm-hmm. uh, the standard 
protocol three years at the time we had nine tries at that time and getting right out of school I hadn't really gotten into that mindset that there really wasn't a whole concept of sports chiropractic yet uh, when I was in school we had a sports council okay. and there was a, a pretty well-known chiropractor in the sports world now her name's Camille uh, Reagan and she was the head of the sports council and that's kind of where I got started a little bit with that but once we got out of school it still really wasn't a whole lot of that yeah. uh, I was kind of in a family practice and things like that and then I had an opportunity after a couple of years to start working with the school district they had what was called a health science technology program and that was working with high school students that were interested in going into some aspect of the medical field and I looked at that as an opportunity to be able to introduce chiropractic more and to in, and introduce those concepts as well as you know the ability to be able to work with other medical professionals right and they also found out that I played some college football and uh, just happened to be coincidence that my first year there, I worked for Cole Beasley's dad, Mike oh, Beasley. Cool. Yeah. And uh, then the next coach came in and uh, held on to me. We had a coaching change because Coach Beasley retired. And, and real quick, for the uh, listeners who are not 100% sure who Cole Beasley is, he is a slot receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. Yes. In yes. the NFL. Yeah. Um, and, and I was on the coaching staff. I'm not going to say that I coached him because that's the furthest <laughs> thing from the truth. Right. But, you know, I was on the coaching staff at the time. That's cool. So, and in that process, ended up becoming the strength and conditioning coach. The school that I was working for um, is what is now considered a large 5A school. Back then, before they changed the system, it was a 4A, and then they added 6A, and so we moved up uh, to a 5A category. And so it was a fairly large school, a lot of athletes. Uh, we had a lot of players that were getting picked up and uh, going to play D1, D2, you know, football, yeah. basketball. And then in the process of becoming the strength and conditioning coach, I started with football. And then I started, you know, cooperating and working with other coaches in the other sports and started helping them develop their workout programs. And then that's where I really started developing my ideas and started doing more research on functional movement and the importance of being able to get the best out of our athletes, not only from an exercise standpoint, but an overall function standpoint. Yeah, definitely. And using my chiropractic background to look at their overall biomechanics and say, okay, you know, this is not moving the way it's supposed to, and started asking questions, why? Right. And so in that process, you know, I started looking more into muscular imbalances, agonist versus antagonist, you know, balance and things like that. And that's where I really started kind of developing my ideas. And this was before I knew anything about SFMA or FMS right. or any of those concepts. I don't think those had even really come out yet. Yeah. Um, but I was kind of developing those ideas along the way. And so when I came across those other programs, this was like right down my alley. of Right. You know, um, and then the importance of, of addressing soft tissue and... And so I spent a lot of time not only coaching, but I've spent a lot of time in the training room. I got had a very good relationship with our athletic trainers, and they it was kind of a rare situation that they readily welcomed me into the training room to work alongside them in helping our athletes. There's yeah. a lot of times they have a limited scope of what they can do, and there's a lot of times I was able to go in and be able to do some uh, do other things with the permission of their parents, of course. Right. And then that really kind of started building up more of a sports practice for me. And, and it got to where I was I was 100% athletes. That's all I treated. Yeah, not even necessarily trying to do that. It's just how it kind of formed. It, yeah, it just kind of developed that way. Yeah. 
and uh, then I had an opportunity to work with uh, a semi-pro hockey team nice. uh, here in Texas. And the four years that I worked with them, they went back-to-back national championships all four years. Probably because they were just way stronger after you joined the team, right? Well, we, we were taking <laughs> well, we were taking these same concepts, and we were yeah. looking at their muscular imbalances and looking at the way their bodies needed to move and understanding the biomechanics yep. of the sport that they were in. And so that's when I really started to trying to identify where individual sports have individual needs and they even within certain sports depending on the positions that they play and things like that you know there there's individual needs that that are expressed there as well including even body type you know depending yeah. on the type of positions that they play and things like that even in hockey I didn't realize you know I, Growing up in the South, wasn't exposed to a whole lot of hockey, so oh, no. <laughs> I had to I had to do a lot of research and learning so that I could work on hockey players and and you know actually be effective. And so, for a lot of listeners that don't know, Dr. McAllister was my staff doctor while I was in school at Parker University. Dr. McAllister started a sports pod uh, for Parker to allow interns to start working with athletes, learn more about functional movement, and start to learn more about athletes themselves. Well, for my last internship, I went to Canada. And I'm from South Texas, and I've never been experienced with hockey. Like, I have just been thrown into it right now. Mm-hmm. Like, hockey is just a completely different sport. You're looking at, and I said it jokingly about you joining the team and them winning, but it's yeah. true. You look at athletes, how they move. If one athlete has to move a certain way, the other athlete has to move differently. Yeah. And you have to be able to distinguish which ways they need to move. So, I mean, you started talking about positions and everything like that. I want to get more into that, too. So, on the football field, mm-hmm. you, you, I know you did a lot with defensive line and everything like that. So. Yeah. When you looked at a defensive lineman, what did you key in on more with a defensive lineman than, say, like a cornerback or something like that? Uh, there, there's kind of a running joke among football coaches, and uh, the joke usually goes, what do you call a really athletic offensive lineman? And then the answer is, is a defensive lineman. <laughs> okay. uh, so you really look for, uh, depending on the type of scheme that you're running, because it, the scheme does kind of determine that too. I've coached for teams where we're looking for big, long you know, tall, long, athletic type bodies working on the outside as defensive ends, yeah. and you're looking. So you're looking at different body types based off of what position they play on the line. And then your guys that go in the middle tend to be. They don't necessarily have to be tall, but you want them pretty thick. They got to be able to stand their ground and take up space. You know, take up space, <laughs> yeah. be able to hold up offensive linemen, big offensive linemen that are coming out on them. You know, the, the average high school offensive lineman weighs about 250. Uh, pounds, and then you start getting into some of the bigger schools, and they're upwards of 300 pounds. That's crazy. Um, I know when I played at Mississippi State, the average size of our offensive line was six foot three, 335. We had a center that was six foot nine and weighed 350. Center? That's center. massive. Yes, he was a huge guy. Um, and so if they sent me on a blitz, I just ran between his legs. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, you probably did. Yeah, well, I, I, <laughs> a bear crawl. I, I, I just tried to get by him before he got his hands on me. So, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, huge. Yeah. So, yeah, but so, like, you're, we're talking about different body types now. So we have different body types at different positions. If you have a nose guard who you're talking about, maybe not as tall, but definitely thicker, mm-hmm. how are you going to treat them, like, functionally? Like, what f- different functions do they have functionally than a defensive end that's six foot six and maybe, like, 250? So with uh, a bigger-bodied guy, uh, their biomechanics are going to be different, um, even as far as the way... Um, they lift. Their lift has to be different when they squat. And so when we look at a functional movement of them on a squat, 
we have to place their feet differently. They can't go with a tight stance, right. you know, simply because their body build won't allow them to. They're going to tend to take a wider stance so that they can get their body weight dropped down uh, in in between and be able to get down low enough to be able to get an adequate squat. And so uh, they actually have to have a little bit more hip flexibility than somebody that's a lot taller, like a defensive end, and a little bit more thinly built. Yeah, uh, those guys can tend to have their stance a little bit narrower and and still be able to get their you know get their buttocks down you know past that parallel point to be able to get an effective squat and so uh for me squat is a really huge indicator of muscular dysfunction just simply because of the impact that it has on the hips and then the whole foundation of the lower body yeah so with the hips and the core and, and all those things we have to look at those balances and so when I started developing uh, lifting programs, especially for football players, when I'm looking at linemen, we had to do something a little bit different from them than we did for, say, you know, a linebacker or a safety or a corner or a wide receiver. Their workouts have to be different. They have a different job. Right. Um, your offensive or your offensive lineman and your your middle defensive lineman have to be extremely strong. They have they don't necessarily have to be fast, but they have to be extremely strong. You have to develop feet, you know, foot movement and things like that to to be able to work on agility. So you have to look at agility. And if they if they have functional problems, uh, especially with their hips, knees, you know, if we're looking at their ankles and we're seeing a lot of ankle collapse, that's going to hinder hinder their ability to be able to move efficiently. Yeah, and then definitely like especially with the lifting that we're talking about, like you're you're not going to be able to lift if your knees cave, ankles cave. You can't put four hundred pounds on your back and squat it. Yeah, doesn't I mean just can't can't push the power. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so then I started looking at a lot of those concepts, and then I started getting into a research because we had a couple of athletes, and I had my own son uh, that suffered uh, ACL injuries. Mm-hmm. Now, my oldest son had an ACL injury that his ended up being traumatic. He ended up, he was a linebacker and had, uh, was chasing the running back out and had two offensive linemen that came out on top of him, and he managed to split the offensive linemen. And the running back lost his footing and you know, came down and uh, his shoulder pad and helmet ended up crashing right into my son's knee and snapping his ACL. Um, but the second time that he actually tore, he tore the same ACL his senior year, and it was a non-contact oh, ACL tear. ACL tear. Yeah. And it was simply from he was wearing knee braces at the time, and he jumped up to try to bat a ball down that the quarterback was – reared back the throw, and when he came down, he came down at such an angle that it tore his ACL again. And so I started really looking at those biomechanics and trying to figure out what is it that we can do to be able to prevent those types of, of injuries from happening. And so, you know, the biomechanics of, you know, of a knee going a valgus with internal rotation, that's a prime mechanism. Right. And so we have to start looking at, okay, what other things are our athletes doing that have a tendency to throw them into that kind of movement and then i started noticing it when people were squatting yeah you know they they don't tend to do it so much when they're going down when they start coming back up and you see that knee collapse that muscle activation causing the yeah yeah and then that's crazy you're talking about the uh non-contact acl tear on cams they have the single leg jump which does a Mm -hmm. power basically a power output side to side and the, what studies are saying now is there's like a 15% discrepancy. Mm-hmm. You have a 50% or more chance of a non-contact ACL tear just because you're so imbalanced. Yes. Um, and that's one of the things that we've been able to do a little differently um, with my group uh, as the, with the sports pod 
I started doing lectures and offering lectures to high, high school students. Uh, having been a high school coach for 12 years, and I'm actually still working with a high school and powerlifting. Because, <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. Uh, yeah, cause, you know, he doesn't like to be at home, guys. He doesn't like to be with his family. He's constantly working. Yeah, well, my, <laughs> the thing is, my family's always with me at the yeah, same true. time. Yeah, that's true. Well, they're lifting with you because yeah. you're all powerlifters. Yes. <laughs> uh, my three younger children are already uh, qualified for nationals for next that's year. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, both of my older boys were powerlifters. My second son went to state his senior year. So you know, we're, we're very much a powerlifting family. Yeah, and, for sure. <laughs> and so they're always with me in the weight room. What we're doing, getting to do now, is uh, go into high schools because we still live in the DFW area. I still know a lot of the coaches and started off with some coaches that I knew and invited high school coaches down to come and attend a class that we uh, did down at the Parker Fit for uh, ACL prehab. Nice. And going through and teaching them some of those things and hopefully, you know, getting them to where the high school coaches start recognizing certain mechanical patterns that would induce ACL injuries. And one particular coach had three athletes, three of his starters last year, tear their ACLs in the middle wow. of basketball season. I mean, that, that just, that, that, there goes your season, especially as basketball. Yeah. I mean, there, you can't, you lose one athlete in yes. basketball, you almost lose your season. Yeah. You lose three of your star athletes, you're done. Yeah. And so uh, out of that, I started having, we were using the Kinetisense in that class and I was taking them over and I was having everybody run through Kinetisense and showing them when they did their squat and had them jump off of a box and show them how they landed. Good. Yeah. And that prompted those coaches to say, hey, I really want this done for my athletes. And so they contacted me a couple months later and we were now going into high schools, uh, coordinating with high school teams and coaches and doing these functional assessments on the Kinetisense not only from the standpoint, the coaches love it from the standpoint that they're getting to see what the dysfunction is, and then we're also offering how do you correct this, right? And and adding to their programs. Uh, one basketball coach has had us completely revamp his entire dynamic warm up scheme just to work on taking out that valgus compensation that that we see, and and over three quarters of his athletes. That's crazy. We're, we're having valgus issues. Yeah, and, and basketball, just constantly jumping, running, yes. jumping, running, jumping. So yeah. you're constantly landing valgus, valgus, valgus. I yeah. mean, you're, something's going to go. Tissue will fail. Yeah, and then and then that, that brings you into um, the difference between males and females. Females, naturally, by the way that their hips are designed, yep. they are naturally more valgus. Yeah, and the so, Q angle, right? So, yeah, they have that Q angle. So we really have to work with them harder to get them to start forcing those knees out and get them, getting them out of that natural valgus position or else, you know, you're going to have a lot more injuries. Yeah. I mean, whenever I, before I came to Cairo school, I was doing a lot of active rehab with chiropractors and, um, I was in San Antonio and I worked with a pretty big school and they had six ACL tears in their women's volleyball yeah. high school. And we implemented more of a glute strengthening, monster walk, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And with Dr. Casey Crisp, who I was working with at the time, and uh, I think they went to like one ACL tear the next year, if, if zero. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say that for sure, but that's it's crazy if you just take these little things like the prehab you're talking about, mm -hmm. you add prehab in, and you're preventing all these injuries that are season-ending, career-ending, can yeah. lose scholarships for high school athletes. I mean, that's that's their future. Yeah. So that's awesome they did. Now, one also one cool thing that the Kinesense has is the concussion baselining. So yes. you can actually do the concussion baseline. That's something that, have you implemented that with it? Because that would be something you could take to these high schools and be like, let's get your concussion baselines. Mm -hmm. If someone gets takes a hit and you're not sure if they have a concussion or not, now you know because you have a baseline. Yeah. 
Um, we we have not started into that fully yet. That is on the next phase yeah. of us trying to get it because once we get a little bit more established within these schools around us, mm-hmm. then we're going to start introducing that. A lot of the schools, bigger schools, uh, have implemented what is called an impact program. Okay. And so they're able to kind of do it on their own. And what we would like to be able to do is get to the point where because we're already coming out and doing performance assessments already that we can offer to go ahead and implement that concussion uh, screening protocol as well as part of what we're doing. Um, it's kind of a step progress, but yeah. we're, we're getting there. That's cool. And the, the, what I like about the concussion thing, it, it tracks the head, shoulders, hips, and knees, mm-hmm. all doing like different single leg, left, single leg, right, both leg, tandem gait. Yeah. They to test all that. So the brain it speaks through the body. So mm-hmm. as soon as you close the eyes, we go vestibular system. Yeah. So as the brain is speaking through the body, if you get a concussion, you're going to have changes through there. And to have that data and be able to access that data mm-hmm. and look exactly where the changes are and exactly what happened, yeah. you can keep athletes safer and decrease the risk of multiple concussions yeah. or CTE and all these different things that athletes and especially football players are definitely dealing with. Yeah. Absolutely. And my, my strong suggestion with that is is that you look at what natural dysfunction that they have to start with, because if you do have somebody that has some balance issues because of, you know, uh, unilateral inconsistencies, then, you know, work on those, get those corrected, then follow up with the concussion protocol right after. That way you get a good balanced view of what what their uh, natural state is. That's a really good point too, because when I was working with Dr. Camo in Canada, um, we did we did a lot of concussion because of hockey. Hockey has tons of concussions. Yeah. Well, doing the baselines, we'd also did an eye test with it, and we had a patient come in who couldn't accommodate, but he didn't have a concussion. And if we didn't do that testing and have that information ahead of time, you would have looked at him and be like, oh wow, he has a concussion. He yeah. can't accommodate. So, which means when you take your finger and you bring it in closer to the nose, and the eyes have to cross and follow the finger in for the listeners. Yeah. But, um, but the not having that information, so like you're talking about, if this guy can't balance on his left leg, doesn't mm-hmm. mean he has a concussion. It might mean that he can't balance on his left leg. Yeah. So you have to have that information before you try to diagnose a concussion too. Yeah. And it's always good to follow. You know, I think the modern version now they have is called a SCAT three, mm-hmm. uh, where they have the questioning format. And if you wanted to. The great thing about Kineticense is because essentially you have it on film. Yep. You could go through and, and run through a SCAT-3 protocol on film while they're in a healthy state and then be able to go back after you suspect a concussion, run back through that same protocol and, and be able to see if there's a difference between the two. And the best part is we're talking about objective data compared to subjective. Yes. We're no longer sitting there and saying, I think it's this or I'm scoring at this. Mm-hmm. We're now having a system that's very accurate, like the Vicon system, that's saying this is where they were and this is where they are. Yes, absolutely. So, well, Doc, that's about all the time we have. Thank you for joining us. Uh, love seeing you again. Love having you. Thank um, you. We'll definitely do another one. So we'll, we'll find another subject that we can talk about. Sounds great. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode four of Kineticast. Dr. McAllister speaks about using SCAT3 and different concussion analysis techniques on the kineticense, which is a really cool theory and a really cool way to go about it. It allows you to look at the body in three planes of motion while separately scoring the head, the shoulders, the hips, and the knees, all while doing a balance assessment. Plus, this is so portable, you can actually take your Vicon-like system out to a football field, a field for lacrosse, a basketball court, volleyball, wherever you want to go, and run your concussion analysis and baselines on all these athletes. Kinescence isn't just a balance assessment tool. It also has a 3D functional movement screen on there called CAMS, which allows you to get a functional score out of 100 for each of the athletes that you screen on the system. 
If you'd like to contact Dr. McAllister, he is available for speaking opportunities and his email can be found in the episode notes. Once again, if you enjoyed this podcast, go onto your podcast app and leave us some feedback. To get more information on Kineticense, you can go online at kineticense.com and schedule a free online demo. On the next episode, we have Dr. Ryan Camo to continue the talk about concussion and balance assessment that Dr. McAllister spoke about and Dr. Camo spoke about in the first episode. I'm your host, Bo Sauls, and let's keep learning about movement, performance, and rehab together. <laughs>